Welcome back to Nikki and the JJ Crew in the morning, here to make your commute to work on the I-95. Fun, exciting, relaxing, chill, sexy, and all those other adjectives that you're dying to hear. This is the real page 451, chapter 67, Telling Faces. I spent a fair portion of the next two days under Stapes tutelage, ensuring I knew the proper etiquette for a formal dinner. I was already familiar with a great deal of it from my early childhood, but I was glad for the review. Customs differ from place to place and year to year, and even small missteps can lead to great embarrassment. So Stapes conducted a dinner for just the two of us, then informed me of a dozen small but important mistakes I had made. Setting down a dirty utensil was considered crude, for example. That meant it was perfectly acceptable to lick one's knife clean. In fact, if you didn't want to dirty your napkin, it was the only seemly thing to do. It was improper to eat the entirety of a piece of bread. Some portion should always be left on the plate, preferably more than a crust. The same was true of milk. The final swallow should always remain in the glass. The next day, Stapes staged another dinner, and I made more mistakes. Commenting on the food wasn't rude, but it was rustic. The same was true of smelling the wine. And apparently, the soft, small cheese I'd been served possessed a rind a rind any civilized person would have recognized as inedible and meant to be pared away. Barbarian that I am, I had eaten all of it. It had tasted quite nice, too. Still, I took note of this fact and resigned myself to throw away half of a perfectly good cheese if it was set in front of me. Such is the price of civilization. I arrived for the banquet, wearing a suit of clothes tailored just for the occasion. The colors were good for me, leaf green and black. There was two that's the page. We're back with Nikki and the JJ Crew in the morning. I'm Nikki, and here's the JJ Crew. Thanks, morning show, Nick. <laughs> Where's the I-95? Oh, I imagine every state has an I-95. I think there's only one <laughs> I-95 because they're interstate highways. They're like, you I was going to say, what does the I stand for, and do we have them in Canada? <laughs> no, we have the 400 series. Yeah, we have like federal highways, which is like, yeah, the 401, the 410. Got it. All right, well, back to the page we're on. <laughs> I'm Jordana. And I'm Jeremy. And we're the JJ Crew! And that's the JJ Crew! <laughs> <laughs> and Interstate 95 is the main north-south north, south interstate highway on the east coast of the United States, running from Florida all the way uh, through, like, you know, Maine, basically. That's a really long highway. And that's been your I-95 update. Ooh, that's all the time we have. Here with Nikki and the JJ crew in the morning. That's your regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> so here's my question. Uh, I think Quoth takes it as read that he learned etiquette as part of stage training. But what if his mother, the expatriated noble, was teaching him these things because she fully expected to reintegrate him to nobility at some point? Well, I mean, he still makes mistakes, so he's not totally aware of the of the things that he's supposed to be doing. No, it's been a long time. But I mean, I, th I think what I'm getting at is that Quoth probably thought he was being taught etiquette as part of stage training and maybe, you know, to have a meal with Baron Grey follow every now and then. But I think that he was being taught etiquette by an actual noble, his mother, a lackless, who was teaching him these things on the off chance, or maybe it was always their plan to bring him back into the family at some point. Hmm. It's possible. Yeah, I mean, it's also possible that she's an ex-noble and she taught him these things 
not ever expecting him to be reintegrated into nobility, but just because, you know, that's how you teach someone to be polite. You teach them etiquette, and that's the etiquette she knows. It's also possible that she's not an aristocrat at all. All of these things are possible. I'm sorry, Jeremy, that is impossible. There's no way she was not Lady Lackless. Well, leaving that little issue aside, I mean, I guess it's possible that these are things he doesn't remember because it's been a while, but it's also possible, I think, that he was taught a slightly different courtly etiquette because etiquette changes from place to place. Yes, I agree. Etiquette changes from place to place and time to time. I I firmly believe that Natalia Lackless was part of this same court, but I think that tastes have changed somewhat. And also he has developed certain survival habits based on, you know, his time in uh, Tarbine. So the idea of uh, throwing out a piece of cheese just because there's a little rind on it, perfectly edible rind, is anathema to him. I mean, that's anathema to me. Like, I hate that someone would not eat the rind of a cheese. (laughs) I'm bothered by that. <laughs> Wait, you're bothered by that? <laughs> you you eat I'm bothered your... by that because cheeses with rinds are very expensive cheeses. Do not waste the expensive cheeses. Eat the rinds. Unless they're like the ones that actually aren't meant to be eaten. But like most cheese rinds are fine. Well, you know, rich people love to eat the garbage parts of the food and throw away the good stuff. That is something else that comes up on this page. I think is like so much of upper class etiquette is like just ways for rich people to separate themselves from poor people and like make doing things that are like impractical or superstitious or just weird, a marker of status. No respectable vintage aristocrat would drain their glass of milk. Why? That's crazy. Like that's just wasteful and stupid. It's wasteful for the sake of being wasteful, but it's a mark of like, I'm so rich that I don't have to eat everything that's on my plate because food is plentiful. It doesn't matter to me. And if it matters to you, you're a poor piece of shit. I actually, I have, I have a, a real world answer. I have a real world answer to that. But before we get to it, I just want to mention that I think a lot about the scene in the man of the iron, the man in the iron mask where they're teaching the, the double uh, courtly etiquette. And they say that when you're picking up a wine glass, the king would only touch the stem with with the pads of his two fingertips, lest he touch a part of the glass that a servant has touched. I think about that a lot. But interestingly, I don't know how I know this. This was something that was taught to me when I was a kid, too young to be drinking wine. But I was taught that in a formal setting, when they're serving wine, you uh, never say no more refills, please. Because at the end of the meat, at the end of the the meal, the servants get whatever is left over on the table. So it would be rude to uh, refuse a refill of wine because you are actually depriving that from a servant who gets it afterwards. So there are some real world analogs here. Maybe that's what Rothfuss is sort of alluding to with the "never finish your milk." Something else that's interesting on this page is something that's in vogue or a superstition and it's weird and baffling is licking your knife clean. A thing that I think any reasonable person would balk at if I licked a knife in a, a, a polite meal, not even a formal meal, but if I was just like out at a restaurant and I licked my knife clean, people would look at me sideways. But for some reason that is like the proper thing to do here in Vent. Yeah. I hate it when people lick knives because I'm always afraid they're going to cut their tongue and Jeff does it all the time just to bother me. <laughs> Yeah, it's okay to break a taboo if it will bother your spouse. That is true. (laughs) But yeah, I I actually think that the knife licking one is put there up front because it is, A, it's rude, B, it's gross, and C, it's like unsafe. It's kind of (laughs) dangerous. 
some of these other things you could mark down as being like kind of like you know cultural taboos or whatever but that one just seems so rude and gross that it's it's quite a back taking also returning briefly if we may to the subject of of rinds on cheese i'm going to segue briefly into our next morning show jeremy's cooking corner because i learned recently i made risotto this week which is one of my like standard recipes that i make but alice saw somewhere on the internet that if you because you put cheese on risotto at the end you should take the rind of your parmesan and put it into the risotto while you're cooking it and then fish it out fish the rind out before you serve it and i have to tell you it did add a whole extra like layer of cheesy goodness and flavor to the risotto so there's my cooking tip for all of our listeners put the rind of the the parmesan you've grated into the risotto while you're cooking it Ooh, i like it i'm gonna try it Hmm. See, nothing is wasted. I'm sure, Jordana, that the servants will take the rind away and uh, will use it to cook the next meal for the rich mm, folks fine. to if enjoy. Fine, if that's happening, then that's fine. Yeah, or like feed it to the pigs. You heard it here first, folks. Jordana agrees that it's important that the rich benefit at the expense of no, the servants. No, it's important that people all get to eat cheese and that it is, it is used and not wasted. I don't care who's eating the cheese as long as it gets eaten. Although I would prefer that I be the one eating the cheese, just to clarify. All right, listeners, send your cheese rinds to Jordana. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, we have a letter today. We're going to dig deep into the backlog. It's been some time since we've read a letter, uh, but we've got quite a few uh, keyed up now. So I look forward to plumbing their depths. This is on page 416 on the effects of oil from The Devil and Daniel. Hi, Nick, Jordana, and Jeremy. I just listened to you debate the impact drinking a pint of oil might have on one's <laughs> stomach. And I'm, v- and I'm very excited to share two anecdotes in support of Nick, Jeremy, and Rothfuss understanding. It's refreshing to debate something in the Kingkiller Chronicle, not dependent on intricate reading and interpretation of the novels. Besides the fact that I disagree with the basic premise that one can keep down anything they are able to swallow, here are two examples that, while being imperfect analogs, I think will drive home the point. Number one. My golden lab, Loki, once got into a metal canister of olive oil and drank at least a pint. The consequence of this was not pretty. To use <laughs> to use a vulgar yet hilarious expression, the vet told us, quote, it came out of both ends, end quote. While I recognize the digestive systems of dogs and human beings are vastly different, since dogs can eat and digest actual poop and not throw up, I have to imagine the impact of drinking a pint of oil is quite severe. Number two, another imperfect analogy has to do with human beings and milk. If you ever heard of the two to three liter chocolate milk challenge, depending on who you ask, please feel free to skip the rest of this message. I have heard of it, but I will share it because it's hilarious and Jordana is going to rise to this challenge as well. Probably. Speaking from experience, long before TikTok and the various online challenges that have become prevalent today, the three liter chocolate milk challenge was a rite of passage for youth in my suburb, just north of Toronto. The purpose of the challenge is not to see who can drink two to three liters of chocolate milk, but rather to see who can keep it down for at least one hour after drinking it. Similar to my dog's experience, the results are not pretty. No one I know participated in the challenge more than once. On behalf of the children in my area, I'd like to extend my sincere apologies to the facility staff at the Promenade Mall. Again, I recognize that milk is different from oil, like dogs are different from humans, but I think I've made my point. Just because you can drink something doesn't mean you can keep it down. P.S. Nick, when you read my episode in email, sorry, when you read my email in episode 416, you referred to me as the devil and Daniel. Not sure if this qualifies as a nickname, but have to admit, while not understanding the reference, I loved it. 
A quick Google search pulled up The Devil and Daniel Webster as well as The Devil and Daniel Johnson. Unclear what the significance of either are and would love to know more. Thank you all for the continued excellence that is your podcast and keep up the great work. Signed, The Devil and Daniel. I can jump in and say, Daniel, that uh, I'm referring to The Devil and Daniel Webster, a short story from 1936, in which a fictionalized version of the real Daniel Webster, a lawyer, uh, is brought to defend in court uh, a farmer who has sold his soul to the devil uh, and wins. And The Devil and Daniel Johnson is a reference to that short story. And uh, the Simpsons Halloween special, The Devil and Homer Simpson, is also a reference to that short story. Cool. So back to the meat of that letter, which is chocolate milk drinking. Sounds great. All right. So Jordana, <laughs> you 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 tricked our listeners by not actually drinking a pint of cod liver oil. Are you committing yeah. to on stream drinking? Like before we start recording on Saturday, you're going to chug three liters of milk and then you're going to okay. hold it. You're going to keep it down the whole recording session without barfing it up or shitting now, it out? Wait, wait. Okay, so I don't know if I can drink three liters because I know that when I drink three liters of water, I have to pee. So, like, I'm definitely going to have to pee if I drink three liters. Well, hang on. Let's let's define the terms a little bit better. The challenge states that you simply cannot keep down two to three liters of chocolate milk. How How much, how quickly do you have to drink the chocolate milk? You have to chug it. You have to drink it as fast as possible. Okay. And then you have to keep it down for at least an hour. Now, I think it's okay to only ask Jordana to drink two liters because she is a small bean. She has also been preparing for this her whole life, much like Wesley, who prepared by taking... Yeah, I drink small- one liter of chocolate milk in one sitting all the time. Like, n- no issues with one liter of chocolate milk. So much like Wesley, who who drank trace amounts of Iocane to prepare himself for the inevitable day when he would... Uh, do a, a battle of wits with a Sicilian, Jordana has been preparing for this her entire life. So Jordana, I think if anyone is in a position to defeat the milk challenge, it is you, but uh, I warn you, uh, I feel it is not scientifically possible. And furthermore, like if you have to pee it out within an hour, that's fine. That's how it's supposed to come out of you. But if it comes out of any other part of your body, then you will have failed. Okay. All right. All right. I can, yeah. Like, I, I, I'll do two liters. I'll do it. I have no problem with that. Although, I should probably run this by Jeff. Oh, there we go. They're prevaricating. Are <laughs> oh, you going to call your doctor again, too, Jordana? You could ask if it's okay, safe. The, I'm not going to call my doctor for chocolate milk because that I know is that chocolate milk is obviously safe. I drink chocolate milk in copious quantities all the goddamn time, and it's fine. Um, but more or less, I just want to make sure that, like, I'm still going to do it, even if Jeff's not. The secrets of the of the marriage are all coming out. I'm just saying, nothing comes between me and chocolate milk. <laughs> all right, listeners, tune in this Sunday on Nikki and the JJ crew in the morning to see JJ or one of the J's chug two liters of chocolate milk and then die.